Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Buckle up because things are getting good in the college football world. This is Rush the Field, the college football podcast. I'm Scott Seidenberg, alongside veteran coach and scout Chris Landry from LandryFootball.com. And Chris, we had some big-time wins this past week, and it also sets up the potential for some playoff craziness ahead of the first college football playoff rankings. Yeah, you know, as we go through the first month, it starts to kind of it kicks off the season and see where we are. October is such a big month. It starts to to really start to see some good matchups and it starts to to separate teams and, and that's that's exactly what's happening and but we got a lot of good matchups left and in November it's really is where the rubber meets the road. I think we learn more about these teams each week. We see where the vulnerabilities are and we're getting close enough to where people are starting to examine these teams and say, "Hey, you know, how does this team look versus the 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 other team?" So uh, I, I think it is very fun. I focus a lot on what I see on film, and a lot of people like to look at well, who they beaten and resume this, and but everybody's got their own way and topics of discussion. Absolutely, and no better place to start, Chris, than with a defining victory for Tom Herman as Texas defeats Oklahoma. The Red River rivalry is officially back, and this one was the Red River shootout because no defense wanted to be played in this game, which we expected going into this game, but this victory for Tom Herman really defines his tenure so far at Texas and I think puts Texas in a spot where they are finally in the conversation with the rest of the programs on a national powerhouse level, a place they haven't been in several years. Well, this is uh, maybe one of the poster boys for let's just watch games and let's see how teams develop because, you know, everyone, and I have to do it like everyone else, react to the moment and it's Texas team look very poor against Maryland really look poor the next week against Tulsa and you're thinking oh man this is could get really ugly rebound beat a USC team not very good uh, then started to make some noise with a win over TCU then they go to Manhattan Kansas and win in a place against a Bill Snyder team that's not very good quite frankly this year but they've not won in Manhattan win that game but you're right to go and play in uh, against Oklahoma uh, and to beat them and and hang on to win, but but look very decisively in their win for majority of the game. It was a statement win, and no doubt about it. Uh, Tom Herman throughout his history, if you look at it uh, at Houston and now at Texas, seems to get his team ready for big games. Now, like we've maybe counted them out early. Can they handle prosperity? Mm -hmm. Can they win those type of games? Let's remind folks that when he was at Houston, he beat an Oklahoma team. And then he kind of faltered down the stretch in their league. So let's see what he can do against, you know, Baylor, who's playing better. Go on the road at Oklahoma State, all winnable games. And then, of course, uh, November third uh is when they play west virginia and and, but then it's not easy iowa state and then you know maybe having to beat uh dare i say oklahoma again uh you know it's a long way to go but what i noticed is how the defense is starting to get physical and that is something we don't see a lot in that conference we don't see it at all 
I think that's something to watch going forward. If he can continue uh, to get that defense, Todd Orlando, get that defense to where it's got big-time playmakers and recruit well, that's where Texas can start to make a statement, not only this year, but going forward. We'll see how well they can finish it off this year, but the defense is what, to me, started to make a statement. What have you seen on film from Sam Ellinger? Because when I watch him during the games, and I think he's gotten better every single week, and I thought he was fantastic in this game against Oklahoma. You know, look, they, they, they had a lead, they let up the lead, but still, this kid made the plays and the throws when he needed to make them. I was thoroughly impressed. What have you noticed on film from Ellinger? Well, he's, uh, he's a winner. He's a gamer. Um, he understands the game. I think he's getting better and better, more comfortable. You put him in. Uh, you put him in, a, in the Cotton Bowl against Oklahoma. <laughs> and this guy shines. I mean, he he just does a really good job. I I think that along with the running game improving is giving him a lot of confidence. And I think it takes some time to take root. And you know, at the beginning of the year, you know, the question I was getting is. Is it um, Ellinger or Michelle? And yeah. I kind of thought it was Ellinger. And, you know, but he had to step up and prove that, hey, he's the guy, he's the leader. And I think he's done that. So I'm excited again to see how he progresses throughout the season. Well, let's talk about the other side of this now. The fallout from the Oklahoma law says Lincoln Rowie decides to part ways with defensive coordinator Mike Stoops. And after the performance by Oklahoma defensively throughout the first part of this season, it's hard to argue with this decision, Chris. Well, I know the fan base there, and I know the media there, because I've been asked that a lot on different shows since the, well, for a long time. But I think a lot of people thought that after the second half against Georgia in the Rose Bowl that people were frustrated and wanted Mike Stoops out. It's complicated because we all know that Bob Stoops really ushered in uh, Lincoln Riley getting mm-hmm. that job and mm-hmm. making that transition. So, you know, I, I think people get it and understand it, but they're still frustrated. So that that was, you know, not going to fire Mike Stoops at the beginning. And I think, and there's <clears throat> even a lot of talk behind the scenes that um, that the AD and mainly the university president got involved in ushering this to make sure that uh, that the relationship with Bob Stoops, who, by the way, is still kind of on the payroll as an ambassador mm-hmm. uh, for the, the school that make sure this was this was handled in a way to where, you know, Lincoln's hands doesn't have blood on it. And, and, and that he was the guy that uh, off with your head. Yeah. I, look, I, it, let me say this. Um, it was probably something that uh, needed to be done. Um but and, and and do I think that Mike did a really good job? No, I don't. But let me just cut to the chase in for the Oklahoma fans. Your talent level on defense is not good enough, and it hasn't been good enough. I mean, I looked at it at the beginning of the year, and I don't I don't care about you know you know all star teams or anything. But if I'm making a roster, defensive roster to start, um, there's not but maybe one player that I would put on the first two all Big 12 teams on defense. None on the first team. Mm. And, and, and that that's not the way it should be. And they've not recruited those big war daddies up front, and they don't have the difference makers. No, now, there's no Ed Oliver <clears throat> on that team. No, there's there's nobody like that. There's nobody that's 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 typically, you know, looks like the Oklahoma guys on the front. I mean, they got a couple of linebackers and in, um, in uh, 
Caleb Kelly and and uh, Kenneth Murray, and but they just don't have guys on that front that are all that good. Overton's a decent player, but I mean, no, I mean, seriously, they just don't have that type of impact player. So they've got to recruit those type of players. And in this league, in the Big Twelve, it's never going to be a defense that's going to look great because the offenses are so up-tempo, which is why I think if you can, if you're Texas or Oklahoma, can get better talent on defense and um, you have an ability to be as effective running your four-minute offense as you do your two-minute offense, that's where you can start to separate yourself and look different from the other Big 12 teams. And I think it's more sustainable because, as I always say, just a explosive offensive team. I don't care how good Kyler Murray in the offense is, and you saw it against Texas. They couldn't keep them down mm-hmm. even at the end, mm-hmm. and they came back. But when you're so reliant on the offense, what happens, to use a basketball analogy, when you have a bad shooting night? You're just not quite on. You know what happens? You go home in a, in a one-and-done scenario. And this is where I think Oklahoma's lacking. I've said this and I'm going to say it again. Oklahoma's model with their style of how they want to play should be Clemson. Clemson is the one program that likes to do some tempo stuff offensively, run some spread, but they have great war daddies on defense. Oh, yeah, they're, 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 and, and they're, they're as fast as anybody in the country on defense. That's why they've been able to play mm-hmm. in the championship level or close to it, and that ought to be Oklahoma's model. So, it's rooted in recruiting, and it's up to Oklahoma. It's not Ruffin McNeil's going to come in and call a few jump mm-hmm. defenses and make this stuff go away. That's not how it works. Uh, they might get better here or there as they play different opponents. Um, but, you know, no, it's not going to have an appreciable difference, quite frankly. Um, it's, you know, it's a bye week. So all the timing led to, hey, let's make the change. They've got, you know, pretty good staff and they've got a couple of guys who in fact they had their choice of two guys who had been coordinators rough and bob diaco so I, I think it makes sense now what i like and i hate it for mike stoops but i think for him he had kind of he kind of lost control of things now lincoln can maybe go in and do something different and maybe figure this out. And it's going to be up for him to do that now. Because, listen, he did a great job and goes to the, you know, to the national playoffs last year, but now you're the head coach. You know, now you got to make coaching decisions and you just don't inherit what Bob got for you. Now this is where you start to earn your spurs, not just as a play caller, but, you know, this is how you got to take your program to a different level. And that's what Dabo's done at Clemson. It's what Lincoln's going to have to do here at uh, Mm -hmm. Norman. Well, now I look at the Big 12, Chris, and and I'm trying to figure out how this thing plays out because uh, I I picked West Virginia before the season even started. They're my darlings this year. Uh, I just, I love everything that they bring to the table on a week-in, week-out basis. Now, obviously, they play the final game of the season against Oklahoma. They have the benefit of that game being in Morgantown. uh, But then they're going to have to play, like, Oklahoma or maybe Texas or another team again in this stupid Big 12 championship game that they installed a couple of years ago. So I don't know who's going to win this conference right now, but I have a feeling that a one-loss Big 12 team could actually get left out of the playoff scenario based on the way that other things are playing out this year. But let's just forget about the playoff craziness. We'll get into that in a couple of minutes. 
who do you see coming out of this Big 12? Because who right now looks like the most complete team? Well, I think that to this stage, I thought West Virginia played the best until last week. They really didn't play well. Against well, they turned Kansas. the ball over, you know, and, yeah, and, and, and I don't think, yeah, obviously, like, it's going to look bad when they, they should have blown them out by five touchdowns and they didn't when Will Greer four turnovers is something that you're not going to see from him every game. I'd rather have him have that game last week against that opponent in a game where you knew that they weren't going to lose because offensively they're so much better. I get it. They should have had three to four more touchdowns in that game. I'd like to see him have that four turnover game against Kansas as opposed to having it on the road in Austin against Texas or against TCU or against Oklahoma. Or against Iowa State. Oh, oh, well, yes, Ames is a very tough I, place to play I as well. You know, and again, I, you know, all I do from a tape standpoint, they, they didn't play very well. And, and they made mistakes in the red zone. Now, is it a is it a trend? Not necessarily. But – you know, if you're looking at them, I think that they play decent situational defense, and Will Greer is outstanding. Um, but what's so is Kyler Murray in that offense? I, I think that um, that's a toss-up game. I, I think Texas, uh, that game's going to be in Austin, West Virginia, Texas. And, and to answer your question, it's not an easy one. It's going to be decided in that three-way kind of conversation, mm-hmm. West Virginia – Texas, November 3rd, uh, West Virginia, Oklahoma um, on November 23rd. And and obviously how that kind of goes is going to lead to two of those teams playing in the Big 12 championship. I don't see any of those teams being what I would call national playoff caliber teams. I don't think they're among the top six teams in the country that I've seen on film. I do think that West Virginia is – a pretty good football team, and they may very well win this Big 12. Um, I think they're very capable. I think that, um, you know, I, but I don't think they're they're better than Oklahoma. I don't think they're better than Texas, but I think that they're equal. So I, I think, um, y- you know, if it came down to it and I was going to go, I, I don't know that Texas would beat Oklahoma again if they have to play them again. I would favor West Virginia and Oklahoma from a quarterback standpoint, uh, at least off of how the games have played out on film the past couple of weeks, um, and, you know, maybe Texas defensively is good enough to maybe get it done. But I think all three are good. I don't think any of them are national playoff caliber, in my view. Let's talk about another defining win, Chris, and that was Florida defeating LSU. You know, you and I have spoken about LSU, it seems like, every week on this uh, podcast, and we always bring up the fact that they are perceived better than they really are, or they're ranked higher, which you can say that about any team in these right. rankings. You know, right. we, we, we bring that up all the time, that the number is just a number. The number next to the team means nothing. It really doesn't. Um, it's what you see from the team on a week-in, week-out basis that matters. And why Watching LSU, you know how talented they are, especially defensively. They got an NFL secondary, which they always seem to do. But they weren't the number five team in the country. And Florida was playing better. Two big road wins after the loss to Kentucky. And we talked about the loss to Kentucky not even looking that bad based off the way that, you know, Kentucky has played the past couple of weeks. I thought that was a big win for Florida and a defining win for for Dan Mullen in his tenure there with the Gators. I think you come away from that victory looking at both teams a little differently. 
Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of, again, the you know, the, the world is crumbling down in Gainesville after they lose to Kentucky, and it's been, my God, it's 31 years. What's going on? And, oh, Dan Mullen was overrated, and, you know, I, you know give me a break. You know, so it just comes – as the longer you get a chance to coach your team and, and put your stamp on your team, the, the, the more you see the results. Now – Florida still has some games left and, you know, that that it are going to be challenging. But what I saw is a very highly emotionally charged team that was superbly coached. I thought Dan Mullen and his offensive staff outcoached a Dave Aranda, who's a great young defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. the highest paid coordinator in the country. And he outcoached him and he outcoached him significantly. Um, there wasn't a whole lot that Florida had offensively. Ran a little option. You know, LSU likes to run nickel. They ran the football, ran power at them. They can, just had enough success running it to, to allow them to work play action, to move Felipe Franks a little, just to make a few plays. And, in, and to me, that was enough because I thought Florida's defense really attacked LSU's protections a whole lot better than LSU attacked Florida's protections. LSU did not put enough pressure on uh, Florida, and when they got some penetration, Florida showed them, uh, slowed them down with that, that uh, option and really got them off balance a little bit. Um, LSU had a, an impressive first drive. Florida made really good defensive adjustments. Todd Grandham, I think we talked a little bit about it last week. I may have mentioned on my podcast as, as well. I can't remember exactly where I said it. But <laughs> Todd Grandham really has done a good job, and he's done a good job. He's gone up against his LSU offense for a while. He did it at Mississippi State, and he did it in a bowl game when he was defense coordinator at Louisville against LSU, and he did it again. He really threw a lot of different Brits pressures, and he got Joe, uh, Joe Burrow uh, unsettled. And he didn't throw the picks until later in the game, but you just didn't see Joe with the confidence throughout the game. And that was because I thought Florida did a better job of keeping LSU off balance. And I think the home field advantage, you know, was a big factor. Yep. Hey, well, you know, welcome to the SEC. You know, yeah. that's what you, it's welcome to big time college football. Um, that's why they were able to get it done. But but you're right. I mean, LSU. Really, fifth best team, as I said, take the fifth, take the you know twenty fifth, and flip them around, and you got the same thing. Well, Florida tw- ranked twenty second, you know, boy, huge upset beating LSU. wasn't a huge upset. No, I mean, you know, LandryFootball.com, we had Florida by three, and we we kind of thought it might go that way. We talked about it. you picked it. Mm-hmm. Um, I played around and said, oh well, I'm gonna go by Tigers, but you know, we knew that <laughs> that's where we were gonna go with it, you know, and so. Um, I think people are not surprised, and and I think if you look at Auburn and their struggles, Miami and man, how they had to pull it out against Florida State. You know who is really LSU beaten? I know, hey, who is anybody really beaten? But if you study the tape, you can see good and you can see wins. And with LSU, they were unbeaten. But it wasn't all that impressive in the film room. Mm-hmm. And I, we expressed that. I expressed that. And um, I think that has proven out. And I think it's going to prove it out. I don't know. Maybe at home they pull off a big win against Georgia. I doubt it. But, you know, it's possible. 
I still think LSU is what I thought they were, and that is a pretty good team, but nowhere near you know a national top five team that's a playoff caliber. Well, the final game that kind of uh, I wanted to bring up with you is Notre Dame going on the road to Lane Stadium, mm. right? Enter Sandman, and you know it, the crowd's all pumped up. They touch the rock and, and everything. Look, it's a, it's a difficult place to play traditionally. However, Notre Dame came in there and showed no signs of slowing down. They ran over Vatek. This offense continues to look good with Ian Book, Chris. Defensively, they are looking sound. And my question to you is, is there anything else left for Notre Dame to prove? Do they have to do anything else to make us realize or to show us that they are one of the top five teams in the country? No, they just can't slip up. I mean, that can happen. Um, I don't see it happening to Notre Dame. I thought that was their biggest hurdle. Pitch playing better, but, you know, they're not – it's not a team that – let's remind folks, because I think, Scott, because you're hitting on two things. To me, this is a really good Notre Dame team. Yep. And I, I don't think Navy's as good. Northwestern on the road could be tricky. USC's got talent. But Notre Dame's better than, than everybody. Pitt, Navy, Northwestern, Florida State, certainly Syracuse, uh, which is going to be a home game, by the way, in the Bronx for Notre Dame, you know, when they play Syracuse. Um, and, and Notre Dame doesn't they, – they don't lose the pinstripes. They, they don't lose uh, – not the pinstripe, the Shamrock Series. They don't lose those games. They, they, they don't, you know, so, look, I mean, they should win these games. Now, here's the thing. People who follow college football but don't study. You know, they think, well, I saw, remember Notre Dame, you know, a few years ago, and they're unbeaten, and they got to the BCS championship game. This is a better team. And, and if you, if I can remind folks, they were very lucky to beat Pittsburgh. Now, listen, let's call it like it is on September 15th. Notre Dame was fortunate to beat Vanderbilt. Yes. So people are going to, you know, point to that, too. So what have they done? Uh, they you changed know, quarterbacks. That's Stan- for one. <laughs> exactly. Stanford's not that good, you know. But but I think this Notre Dame team is – they've got an outstanding back. Dexter Williams is very, very good. It's a really good football team. Uh, here's the thing. They have to be unbeaten to get in. If they go unbeaten, I think they're going to be in. No, they no, would never leave them out. They they would never ever. I don't care if you have five undefeated teams, Chris. They would never ever in a million years leave out an undefeated Notre Dame team from the college football playoff. Well, there's too much money involved. It, it would never happen. If there are five, I mean, good lord, we don't. We never have four unbeaten. So no, but uh, I, I'm talking about did. the craziest of crazy scenarios. They would never ever leave out an undefeated Notre Dame team. I, I think. You know, listen, I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people that agree with you. I I think the committee truly wants to pick the four best. That make the most money. Uh, Okay. Go ahead. Um, But I I think we'd be foolish to think that that past performance in brand doesn't have a factor because – when TCU gets jumped the last week, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. we all know that if that was Oklahoma or Texas, they probably don't get jumped. So name brands matter. I agree with you. However, if you had a scenario where unbeaten Alabama, unbeaten Ohio State, unbeaten Clemson, 
Um, unbeaten West Virginia and unbeaten Notre Dame. Unbeaten West Virginia and unbeaten Notre Dame. Now you're dealing with a scenario where it's basically, in my view, West Virginia and Notre Dame. And I agree with you. Probably Notre Dame gets in. But if you had a scenario and you couldn't have this um, it, it, because Alabama, Georgia, and the they same play conference. each other. Yep. But if you had, if you had another unbeaten team, well, let me just say this. Let's well, say, no, yeah. no, forget it. No, let, forget let, the unbeaten, Chris. I'm going to give you the. I'm going to give you the craziness now. Well, well, I mean, but let me let me finish this if I could. Okay. If you had an unbeaten Texas or Oklahoma, and and an unbeaten Alabama, and an unbeaten Ohio State, and an unbeaten Clemson, and you got five brands. That's where somebody's getting left out that you would say, oh, they're not going to leave this one out. Now, maybe it's not Notre Dame getting left out, but, but that's where I think, you know, that's where it becomes, <laughs> you know, a little bit iffy, if you know what I mean. I like their chances. If they win out, I've said this, and I've answered this repeatedly. People have asked me this already. I think if Notre Dame wins out, they're in. First of all, I don't think they're going to be four unbeatens. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but if they are – I mean, they're not going to be five of them. So, I mean, I think they're in. And if they were five, I, I think Notre Dame is going to get in over one of them. Now, I will say this, and I'll say this. If it happens, we'll see. If Alabama and Georgia both unbeaten, and they look, Scott, like the two best teams in the country, mm-hmm. and it's an overtime game in the SEC championship game, Good luck trying to tell the folks in the South <laughs> that that those two teams don't belong in. And, you know, you got those two. You got an unbeaten Ohio State, an unbeaten Clemson, unbeaten Notre Dame, and you're going to put Notre Dame again uh, well, against this uh, is, uh, and, okay, Georgia? This is the then, crazy scenario then, I wanted then, to ask you. Okay, then, be- then, I mean, like I said, that that may be a legitimate argument on yep. you have the four best or – the politics, that and you and th- this is exactly the, the this is the craziness I wanted to bring up. You have the four undefeated teams, which is SEC champ undefeated, right? Clemson undefeated, Ohio mm-hmm. State undefeated, and Notre Dame undefeated. Mm-hmm. And the fifth team is the one loss SEC championship game loser. And, now, and, if, if you're trying, if you're truly trying to put in the four best teams in that case. I got to be honest with you. I might leave out Clemson. I'm already to put in Georgia. Well, I don't know. I right. don't know what I would do. Well, and you don't because we're sitting here in not even middle October yet. But you're going to know or you know probably going to know by the end of the year because yes. Clemson Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Notre, they're all going to play their way. Is there a lot like we talked about what? We we, we weren't even discussing Texas as a team that we don't know if they're going to make a bowl game after mm-hmm. two weeks. Yeah. Um, now, you know, can they win the Big 12 is the conversation. So what's the conversation going to be two, three weeks from now? <laughs> um, right now, Clemson maybe looks shaky to some people. I say Clemson was shaky against Syracuse. Quarterback left him in the beginning of the week. Freshman, the quarterback that comes in Gets is hurt. down. <laughs> I, I, think, I think, you know, they kind of they, – they put Wake Forest away big time. We'll see what Clemson can do. I, I think Clemson's schedule is very weak. I think Clemson's um, Clemson's schedule looks as favorable the rest of the way as Notre Dame's does, but they're going to have to play one more game. And I will give one caveat. I think NC State can be a little bigger of a challenge than maybe anybody on Notre Dame's schedule. But you're right. It's going to be interesting. I'll give you one. I'll give you a scenario right now. 
You like scenarios. I love scenarios. You, you like scenarios. I love chaos. You want to you wanna talk about it. What would you do right now? I'm going to ask you, Scott and Cyberberg. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Notre Dame goes unbeaten. Okay. Clemson goes unbeaten. Okay. Ohio State goes unbeaten. Mm-hmm. Alabama and Georgia unbeaten in the SEC championship game. Okay. It is a close game, maybe even a questionable call. Sure, and sure. And the Georgia Bulldogs beat Alabama. Okay. Who are you leaving out? That is four. I think I I would put Alabama in. I, and, I, I would and, I would have to leave out. I would I would have to leave out either. It would depend who looks worse down the stretch, whether it's an undefeated Clemson or an undefeated Ohio State. I would, I would, but I would, I would lean towards. But, right now, I think Clemson. But you'd have would be Notre the, Dame in. I, I think Notre Dame would have to get in because the, I think an undefeated Notre Dame team definitely gets in, even though they have they would have the weakest schedule technically. I guess you could say that. Although Clemson would have a, a case okay, for that as so well. Let, 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 let me let me make let me make this a little clear. Mm-hmm. Let me give you this. All right, so the scenario I gave you in the SEC championship. Who does Clemson is, beat in the ACC championship Clemson, game? How do they? Clem, Clemson. Runs the table uh-huh. and impressively starts blowing out people, and they play in the ACC championship game. You know they play blow Miami. out a one loss Miami, Miami, and just wherever, just blow them out. Ohio State dominates everybody, just clearly, you know, just you know, gets in, blows out Wisconsin, okay. Iowa, whatever. Okay, so now you got Clemson in Ohio State, dominant looking. Got it. You've got an unbeaten SEC champion Georgia. Um, and Alab- they beat Alabama, and so your two choices really now are Alabama and Notre Dame. Alabama and, and just lost the game, and, and you and, got Notre and, Dame. All right, and then you know what? In that scenario, honestly, as much as it pains me, I'd have to leave out Alabama because oh, oh, oh. because. But here's here's the reasoning. Now, you would have the pure scenario which everyone would love, which is the four undefeated teams, right? Uh-huh. And you would also have the argument that Alabama and Georgia was the first round of the playoffs. No, okay. So you're making these rules. I'm now. not making you. rules. I'm saying that's that's how you justify it. Is you say, you know what? Everyone wants the expansion of the playoffs to six teams. Well, here you have it. Okay. The SEC championship game between two undefeated teams. That's a playoff game. Okay, you but, win okay. and you advance to the semifinals. You lose and you're out. Okay, but again, I, I'm 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 giving you the mandate. You've got to pick <laughs> the four best teams. Pick the four best teams, Scott. <laughs> not not. I think I you know what. I'm going to justify this, but no, 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 no. I, that's great. I heard it, you know. <laughs> so, but you know, I'm, I'm you're back in school again, you know. And it's like, can okay. I leave? Out, can I leave out Georgia that just beat Alabama? <laughs> you, you, you can do whatever you want. This, this, this is why, folks, we're doing this because you know. Every year, it it tends to clean itself up, but there's usually one of these controversies. Yeah, you put Ohio State in instead of Penn State, yep. or you know, there's there, or there's Alabama gonna, last year. You know, exactly. Yeah. There's going to be one of those, but there's not going to be the scenario that Scott and I are talking about now because that's no, going to no. work its way out. Yes, but that's why you know I bring it up now with Scott because you know for folks to kind of hear that is this is where we are now as we're heading into Week Seven. Um, it, it, I can tell you, I, I, I see this most years to everybody, Scott, everybody says, well, nobody's beating Alabama. Okay. And uh, nobody's going to beat Ohio state. Cause you know, and nobody's beating Clemson that schedules week. Nobody's beating Notre Dame. And you know what? Someone loses. Ma- maybe we've mm-hmm. got four unbeatens. 
and that's going to be your clean, clean, you know. And and I I would say this that the scenario I gave that I think Notre Dame, if it was Notre, again you're right, it could be. Ohio State or Clemson maybe doesn't look as impressive and they get left out and Notre Dame's in. But if it comes down to Notre Dame and a Georgia team that just lost a close one to Alabama, I think Notre Dame probably gets mm-hmm. in. If it's Notre Dame or Alabama and a close loss Alabama that lost to, to Georgia, I think Alabama trumps them. Yeah. I think it's particularly too where are they rank going into that? Are they ranked number one? Do they have a close game? Yeah. You know, which is a lot of things that we can't anticipate. We can anticipate, well, they lose this game, they win this game, but how does the game look to me? How does the team look? How do they look on film? Uh, how does the game play out? I think we, we know that a win's not a win. There's a way you win and a style mm-hmm. you win, and if all of a sudden something weird happens, um, you know, I think people saw that last year, didn't they, Scott? Look, Alabama got in. Why did Alabama get in? Well, you know, they had all those injuries and dropped a game to Auburn and didn't make it to the SEC championship game. But everybody on that committee, the football people, oh, they knew. the coaches they said, knew. Well, mm-hmm. have you seen that team? I, I don't think anything could derail Alabama other than just if they have these rash of injuries and they lose twice. I think if they lose once, you know, it would depend on the style and the circumstances. Uh, and I've said, well, with this Alabama schedule, they can't lose a game. And I kind of believe that. But that's in the regular season. If they lose an SEC championship game to an unbeaten Georgia, hmm, I don't know. That would get interesting. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's, that's why we're going to be breaking it down well, every well, week when the – uh, rankings come Yeah, out. and the one thing that we can't, no one can deny is that Alabama is the best team in the country right now. Uh, their margin of victory is absolutely insane. And I always look, I always go back to what uh, uh, Houston Rockets general manager Daryl Morey has a famous quote where he says, great teams don't win close games, Chris. They avoid them completely. And Alabama has avoided a close game so far this season. And I don't think playing half a game. Exactly. (laughs) You have to look at two of his stats because it's unbelievable. His his stats through the first three quarters are unbelievable. He hasn't attempted a pass in the fourth quarter. (laughs) Somebody asked me this week, hey, can can somebody who plays half a game. Yeah, he win the Heisman Trophy. I'm like, well, imagine if he played three quarters of a game, he'd have every record known to man. Here's uh, I think I think he's pretty much kind of said, yeah, you know, people look at stats and they look at dominance. He's doing it for a half, for goodness sakes. I mean, imagine if he had four quarters and he might it's, get a couple of games where he gets four quarters. I mean, good luck for the team that has to defend him for four quarters. I, I don't know. I, I think that's going to be the most intriguing thing is, you know, for Alabama. I mean, how pathetic is this? It's no longer. I mean, you know, Nick is just. P.O. that his students leaving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is nobody's. It's like they're they're bothered. He's he's trying to beg the media to you know find something negative. I think the story is no longer. Hey, can they lose? Uh, it is. Hey, who's going to play them well enough to to allow them to play into the fourth quarter? Well, I don't think it's happening this week against Missouri. It sure as hell ain't happening in Knoxville. And then they go to LSU. That is the game that people are going to be watching. I don't think anybody thinks that LSU is going to beat Alabama. But I think people are wondering, it's going to be at night. 
And they haven't been announced yet, but that's going to be the CBS mm-hmm. game at night. So it's going to be a nighttime in Tiger Stadium. And then I think the question is going to be, hey, <laughs> what's that? you're big on the Vegas odds. What are the Vegas odds that Tua plays a snap in the fourth quarter in that game? <laughs> you know there's going to be an odd on that. I know you're going to have that for us. What's what's so unbelievably just ridiculous, and, and I mentioned this, Tua Tungavailoa this year, okay, Very good. has completed – 76 of 101 <laughs> passes, right? For 1,495 yards, Chris. 18 touchdowns and zero interceptions. He has not attempted a single pass in a fourth quarter of a game. Let, let me let me give you, those <laughs> that's, are great. That's only the, through three quarters of a game. Those are great stats. But let me tell you one stat that's really important. Average yard per pass attempt. Yards per attempt is 14.8 this year. 14.8. Average <laughs> completion percentage is like 30 yards. Yeah, the adjusted, the adjusted yards per attempt is 18.4. Yeah. That's fantastic. I mean, he throws it now, and it's it's an average 30 yards. I mean, that is incredible <laughs> what it's done. He's putting up numbers that even those video games can't keep up to. So yeah. it's going to be a lot of fun. The other Some other things that will be interesting, too, to keep an eye out on is, all right, Ohio State goes – goes through and you know Wisconsin has already lost a game uh let's say something happens to Ohio State they lose what does that do to a Penn State team that if they run the table yeah true um, true you know let's not count out Michigan yet I don't like them well enough to say that they're going to beat Ohio State but we'll see it's going to be a great game this week Wisconsin and Michigan someone's going to still be in it and someone's not nationally that is but then what happens to a Penn State team that maybe we know that was a close game? They lost it to Happy Valley. Where does that put them if they run the table and Ohio State's out? Does that, what does that put them within these teams? Because that's more likely to be the case than having five unbeaten's, which we never seemingly have. All right, let's talk about the three top twenty-five matchups coming up this Saturday. Uh, you mentioned it just now, so we'll start with that one: Michigan hosting Wisconsin. This is a, a close game, but I actually don't think it's a close game. You know, uh, people think that just because Wisconsin's 15th and Michigan's 12th that it's supposed to be close. I think Michigan's head and shoulders better than Wisconsin right now, and I think Michigan wins this one easily. Well, it'll be interesting to see. If they do, that would be very impressive in a statement that maybe, hey, Michigan is alive. I know that the Wisconsin team hadn't been as impressive as most have thought. I will say this, that Michigan has done a nice job. I thought they were very sluggish in that first half against Northwestern, uh, but they, they figured out and got them things squared away, did a good job against Maryland. I'm still a little bit unconvinced about their offense. I think the health of Shea Patterson, um, excuse me, the, the consistency with Shea Patterson and the health at running back, this defense is really good. I, I agree with you. I think Michigan's the better team here. I think they win it. Um, but But to me, this is where Jim Harbaugh has to start making a statement. Win here. Uh, for goodness sakes, we'll talk about it next week. But if they don't go in to East Lansing and beat Little Brother uh, mm-hmm. this year, no. that's going to be, you know, then they got a bye week, then they got Penn State, then they got Rutgers in Indiana. Indiana's no joke, but they get them at home. Then they go to Ohio State. So this is the week that starts to say, hey, Michigan, you're back, because I think they beat Michigan State. Then, then we'll see what happens in the Penn State game. That makes that Penn State game that much bigger if Michigan's able to win this one. All right, how about Washington and Oregon, a battle out west? Uh, this is going to be a 3.30 Eastern time game, which means it's a 12.30 kickoff there in Eugene. 
By the way, I don't know. For I want to mention this because I don't know how many people know this, Scott. But this is one of the more underrated rivalries in college football. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the Northwest version of Auburn, Georgia. Uh, Auburn, Georgia is the oldest rivalry in the South, and you know it's different than Auburn, Alabama. It's different than Georgia, Florida. It's they're very close and. Washington, Oregon, they recruit a lot of the same players. There's a lot of the same alumni base, a lot of them in Washington, Seattle, from Oregon, and they don't like each other. This is a bigger rivalry than Washington, Washington State in the Apple Cup or Oregon, Oregon State in the Civil War. This is a real intriguing game on top of the rivalry because how good is Washington? Oregon kind of spit the bit against Stanford. We know that. Um, Washington... Hasn't been all that impressive since, you know, they lost that early game, struggled a little bit, and I'm very curious to see if they can go on the road and win this one. I don't like any of these teams. I said it for the Big 12. I think that the Big 12 is a little stronger than the Pac-12 in terms of national playoff caliber teams. So I'm concerned about the Pac-12 even being a strong consideration at this point. I don't see anybody that's capable of getting it done. Uh, but this is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm, I, I'm a little bit concerned about how Washington is playing coming into it. And I'm concerned about Oregon's consistency. I think Washington's the better coach team. I think Oregon's a little bit more explosive, quite frankly, offensively. How about LSU against Georgia? Is this a tough test for the Bulldogs? It is tough because this. here's the thing that's a little different. Um, and this is the byproduct of splitting up the leagues. Georgia, it's been a long time since they've been in Tiger Stadium. So none of these kids have ever been to Tiger Stadium. So they're excited about it. And it's one of those games where, you know, Georgia's sending, how about this, Scott? There's upwards of like eight to 10 to 12,000 Georgia fans making the trek to Baton Rouge. Wow. I think there's only like 4,000 tickets. So they're coming just to experience a yeah. tailgate. Yeah, sure. And watch it, but they can't get into the game. Um, but, but the few that want them. This is a trip they don't play, they don't face. You know, they play Auburn every year, but they don't play LSU that often. So you got a lot of young guys that are going to be in this type of an environment that's a little bit a little bit new to them. Georgia is the better prepared team. They're better coached, and they've got more talent, but they're young. They've not played their best ball, and I think that's where people are looking. Hey, how good is Georgia? I don't know how good Georgia is. I know that they're better than LSU. I'm curious to see how they handle the environment. If Georgia doesn't turn the football over, play sloppy football, they win this game, maybe even win it going away. But if they don't, you know, it could be a little interesting. Now, it's in the afternoon, which is still a home field advantage for LSU, but it's not the same as at night. Yeah. So we'll see. I think this game is about Georgia. I know what LSU is. I know what LSU's potential is, and I only think that Georgia can lose this game. I think LSU can play great, still probably lose. It's up to Georgia, and I think we see what Georgia's made of because this is a type of game that they need to go in and challenge and, and, and ban up. They've played around with quarterback position. Maybe we'll see Fields a little more. They've got too much talent, I think, here to blow this game. I think they beat LSU. And finally, you mentioned it a little bit earlier, but why should West Virginia be on upset alert against Iowa State? Well, you know, Matt Campbell has his team playing hard, playing well. 
you know, listen, I agree with you. West Virginia, yeah, if you're going to make mistakes, you do it in a game like against Kansas where you win. But but here's the thing, and this is the, 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 the nervous Nelly coach that comes out of me is, all right, Will Greer doesn't throw an interception all year. They're, they're just dominant in the red zone. And they go up against a Kansas team, and they're throwing interceptions in the red zone and making mistakes. Well, you know, those are things that, you don't want to have happen, and you don't want ingrained into bad decisions. Um, they make those decisions, they'll come out of Ames with a loss. I think we, we know this team is capable. They're well coached. They're very underrated. They can move the football on West Virginia. They're at home. It's going to be an emotional game, a statement game for them. Uh, West Virginia is the better team. I think Will Greer plays well. I don't think he makes those mistakes, and I think they beat him. But it's a dangerous game because unlike a Kansas who can't take advantage of the mistakes that West Virginia would make, Iowa State can't. Yeah. Just also, I worry for everybody in the Big 12 because, again, when you don't play great defenses, what happens if you got a couple of drop balls, mm-hmm. a tip balls? I mean, a punt return. I mean, all of a sudden now you're just in a game that's different. It's just I could see West Virginia scoring – you know, 50 points in this game, and Iowa State being there right with them in the fourth quarter. It's that type of a league to where you never have enough. I mean, just go back to the OU Texas game. I mean, for goodness sakes, this was a blowout game, and <laughs> until Kyler Murray scores in in 15 seconds, and then <laughs> again, and all of a sudden you got to hold on and win. So that is why I think it's a dangerous and a sneaky good game at night uh, in Ames. You can get all of this information and more at LandryFootball.com. You get the inside information and analysis on the college and pro game from film room breakdowns to all the latest information, recruiting, draft, coaching news, all this and more. Plus, each Tuesday and Thursday, new episodes of the Landry Football Podcast. Each Wednesday, new episodes of Rush the Field, our college football podcast. Both of them absolute must-listens for all football fans. Check out LandryFootball.com today for their best season membership package ever for less than a magazine subscription. You can have access to the insights of a veteran coach and scout. Tell them where you heard this to receive their best membership package available. Chris, I go to LandryFootball.com. What am I finding this week? Well, all these film breakdowns, we've broken down what happened this past week, and we're wrapping that up tonight. Uh, And then, obviously, uh, we're, we're going to get all the previews. Wednesday and Thursday up on the website and uh, of these previews of all these games. All the games we talked about plus many more. Another sneaky game. Colorado's unbeaten in the Pac-12. For those of you that are listening saying, hey, Seidenberg and Landry not talking about my buffs. Let's see what Colorado can do against USC. They haven't played anybody yet, but that's that's a team we haven't forgotten in the Pac-12, just not buying them yet. But we've got all these games in Wisconsin, Michigan, West Virginia, Iowa State, LSU, Georgia, Washington, all those, Baylor, Texas, Michigan State, Penn State, A&M, uh, South Carolina breaking down all these games inside the film room, giving you the coaching, X's and O's, the personnel matchups, how we see these games playing out, really important. Got some fun games for different reasons, so uh, check it out at LandryFootball.com. We'll take you inside the film room, making you see the game like a coach and a scout. And you can also get all the latest breaking news on Twitter. Just follow Chris at LandryFootball. Follow me at Scott's on Air. This is Rush the Field with me, Scott Seidenberg, and veteran coach and scout Chris Landry which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. 
Hey, you look forward to it. We'll know a little bit more next week. Well, we sure will. This is a Crush Performance Quick Fix on Radio Influence. In 1822, we ate the amount of added sugar in one 12-ounce can of soda every five days. So the amount of sugar in your average soft drink every five days. That's way back in 1822. Today, we're consuming that every seven hours. And we're paying the price. And we've seen it every single day on the news. Diabetes. Uh, Alzheimer's dementia, overweight obesity, general health issues like hypertension, cardiovascular disease, cancer. And for me, one of the biggest crimes, uh, childhood obesity, childhood diabetes, and the fact that uh, we're basically looking at a generation of kids who are going to have a shorter lifespan than their parents for the first time in human history. And that's what the Crush War on Sugar is all about. Crush Performance with Jeff Crushell can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.